What is up? What is up? All right, so I'm excited for this. You're going to love the guest. And as I started working on the interview, I realized that the guest coming up and I have a ton in common and it only makes sense for me to start off by walking you down memory lane a little bit. Like, so you probably wondered, like, how did Todd get his career started? And you, there's a good chance you don't know this story about me, but back, to, back in 1999, way, way back in the day, yo, I became a talk show host on the number one station in Arizona, and it sounded a lot like this. Hi, and thank you for joining me right here, News Radio 92.3 KTAR. And it was an honor to be on the biggest station in my state. I've always listened to it. But at the same time, I started a website and I started my digital marketing career. And there wasn't even a name for digital marketing back then, but I started trailblazing in content marketing and in search engine optimization while I was on the radio. I didn't even really, wasn't anybody to learn from, just kind of figured it out as I went along. And by 2003, my SEO had started paying off incredibly well for me. And my news site was generating 36 million visitors a year on zero ad dollars and a career was born and iHeartRadio hired me away from the radio so I could go out to LA and you know I've been around a lot of wildly successful members of the media. I ran digital for seven of their largest nationally syndicated talk shows at iHeart and I was raised by two business owners fourth generation entrepreneur and even my sisters are business owners today and you, you know that may sound like we've got a major head start on people but far too often I've heard business owners apologize more and celebrate less with their staff and with their family and I got a great story coming up in just a few moments Damon Burton SEO guru father husband 17 year SEO agency owner to mom and pops and billion dollar brands with a fascinating story about perseverance, about payoff, about family celebrations is coming up after these words. This podcast is brought to you by the Wirebuzz team. Now, if that name sounds familiar, it's because I've spent the past decade growing Wirebuzz into a digital marketing powerhouse designed to maximize clarity in complex sales processes so we can help accelerate revenue. And we do this in three phases. Phase one, we transform your website to function like your best salesperson, and then also incorporate persuasive on-demand sales videos. Now your entire team is aligned on messaging and they're injecting massive clarity into your prospect's head. So your site looks great, but it also has engaging content that helps your team sell on-demand 24-7. The next phase, phase two, we train your sales and marketing teams to sell remotely or in person to expand the impact of your sales team. And the third phase is we develop and run targeted ads to your prospects. Scale those ads to help you achieve more business results. Sign up for the Wirebuzz Company newsletter to learn more about effective and simple ways to improve your company messaging, attract more digital attention, and ultimately make more sales. Nearly 20 years ago, Damon Burton beat a billion dollar company by outranking their website on Google. And since then, he knew he was onto something and went on to build an international SEO marketing company that 
worked with NBA teams and Inc. 5000s and, and Shark Tank featured businesses. And well, we've become buddies over the year. Damon, thanks for joining me on the Toddcast. Todd, it's a pleasure. I'm excited. You know, you said we've known each other for a minute, but we haven't got to revisit in a while. And uh, you're, you're a good dude, so I'm looking forward to chatting. Yeah, I love it, dude. I love it. All right, so there's so much to unpack with you. I think what gets me the most excited, like I want to get into SEO and I'm a friggin' nerd for that and got started on doing the whole SMX events and speaking on their stages. And so like you and I probably have a lot of the same friends mm -hmm. in the SEO world, but SEO is like a really foreign concept for people. Like mm -hmm. it's um, another world. When you're working on somebody's website, you're kind of thinking about like, as you're doing it, what does the search engine need and how do I communicate to the search engine? Like, just how did you get started in SEO? And then we're gonna unpack a little SEO and talk about, it. I also wanna get into your celebrations because nobody's been celebrating like you have though. So <laughs> we'll get into that in just a moment. Yeah, well, it depends on how far back you want to go. So I'm going to take a shot in the dark at a reasonable story. And then there's a countless other stories before, after, and in between. Um, so I got into SEO because I had a, a passion for cars, you know, much like many young guys in their 20s. I followed, uh, I was big in the car industry. And so I started a hobby website. And so it started a passion play where I started an online community. And you got to think this is before Facebook groups, right? And so before that was forums and message boards. So I had a message board based website for a community and it picked up and I started getting thousands of active users. And so then I said, well, how do I make this better? And that's how I started to learn into design more. And there's some more stories before that. I had some initial experience, but that's when I got intentional about it. And I said, okay, let's make this better. And then as it continued to grow, I said, how do I monetize this? And so that's where I started to explore marketing. And with our similarities in radio, I would sit in the studio. And if you don't know anything about radio, but in between doing your breaks when you're talking on the mic, you're just kind of sitting there. And yeah. for me, I had a computer in the studio. And so I would work on my car enthusiast website. And so I started to build it up that way. And then uh, I think many of us in the entrepreneur journey, we end up being, especially in web design, you become the guys, friends, cousins, neighbors, kids kids that does web design and so i was that guy for a while build up enough clients on the side where um, i came to a pivotal moment and i'm going to leave a cliffhanger there because that opens up a whole other story but i i was forced to make a decision if i would bet on myself or go find another nine to five and i bet on myself and 17 years later and 50 60 team members later and here's where we're at all right so you bet on yourself and let's get into the pivotal moment and then let's get into um, betting on yourself and the feeling that you've got inside. We'll get to that in just a second, but talk to me about this pivotal moment in your life where there was a, there was a decision you had to make. Bring me back to that. So I had a nine to five job. Um, I, we're all often talked, those of us who do podcast interviews, we're often asked, you know, who did you learn from? Who was your mentor? And for me, it was more, I learned a lot by seeing what other people did wrong than being guided to what to do right. And so the, the two employers I had before I started my agency, um, the second to last gentleman was really successful. He'd do one to $2 million a month. Um, I was his only full-time employee, got paid peanuts, really toxic, um, drugs, cheating, all sorts of things, right? 
And so I learned very quickly, like, don't do that. Don't create an environment, work environment, home environment like that. And so I, when I left that position from the toxicity, the last gentleman I worked for was largely the opposite. And what was attractive to him was he married his high school sweetheart. He was the captain of the baseball team. She was the head cheerleader. It was like the storybook thing. But what I didn't know is the business he had started now was on the heels of a business that just got shut down. And so it just got shut down because he was greedy. Now, he had a civil suit, but not a criminal suit. And then what ended up happening is the criminal suit caught up. And I was working from home. His business was in Las Vegas. One day I can't get a hold of anybody. And I get a message on AOL Instant Messenger, right, before we had Slack. And You've got mail. Yeah. And so I get this message that says, sir, did you hear? And I said, did I hear what? I can't get a hold of anybody. Well, what had happened was the ATF, the sheriffs, everybody, movies kind of style, kicking in the doors, shut down the business. So this is where the criminal suit caught up, business gets shut down, and I was left with a decision. I was told I was in a different department, that department would live on, and I'd get a paycheck later. So I had three choices. It was either wait for the paycheck, go get another nine to five job, or take the few clients that I had on the side and bet on myself. And so I did the math. I had enough that losing the day job would cut my income in half, but between my income that was left over and my wife's income, you know, all at the time, all we had was a mortgage and a car payment. I did the math and we could- Oh, those were the days, brother man. <laughs> yeah, for real. Well, right. before we hit record, I talked about, you know, now my forties, I feel like I'm, I know less about life now than any point before. And, you know, it's crazy looking in retrospect about how life evolves. But so in that moment, it was, I can still pay my bills, right? And that seemed as calculated as a risk as I would ever get. You, you think about like all this perfect timing, right? I'll do this later. I'll do that later. Whether it's a business decision or a personal decision, you never get more time. You get less time constantly. You get more responsibilities. And so I made the, the leap of faith then. And if I remember correctly, it only took me about three months uh, to make that income back after having freed up the time to focus on my own clients. And then um, I think I had my first six-figure year, maybe by year two. And then 15 years after that second year, you know, now I run a huge team. It's beautiful. I love betting on yourself. Like you'll outperform when you bet on yourself. And that also says that you've got an instinct and a faith and the ability to add value into people's lives and you're well, you're doing what few people are willing to do. Most people are only willing to sit back and allow other people to go out and hunt for them. And when you roll the dice, I mean, that's serious. There's no other safety net underneath you. At, at what point did you look around and you go, wait a minute, maybe I think I, I got something here, something valuable that is sustainable. When did that happen? You're the first person that's ever asked that. And, and that's something that I often have to get to in a roundabout way uh, of, you know, what's the evolution of being an entrepreneur. So it's fascinating to actually be, to be asked that directly. Um, it was about a year into it. Um, so the first year it was cool to just be self-employed. It was great to right. wake up when I wanted. Um, I would often wake up early because at the time my wife, uh, she worked at the hospital and so she'd get up three, four in the morning. So I would be like, why not get up and take advantage of those extra hours. And it was about a year into it where um, I remember telling myself, I, I said something along the lines of grind it out now so I don't have to later. And that was 
knowing that my wife and I would have kids at some point. And so we waited five years before we had kids, but it was like, that's such a, an amazing window to maximize your time. And so during the first year, it was really just, I, I, I call it dating the phases, right? So the first phase was just enjoy being self-employed, like embrace it, learn from it. But there's something about dating the phases. This is like, like courting the moment or being intrigued by it and fascinated. Mm -hmm. Like, is that where you're going? Like when I yeah. hear people say like, always be dating your, your partner, your spouse, this is like dating where you are in your business. Mm -hmm. So you still value the moment. Totally. Yeah. I was never in a hurry to grow at the expense of my sanity. And so during the first year, it was figure this out, like enjoy this. And then it was about after that first year where I, I, it's a, you nailed it perfectly. It was, wait, I actually have something here. And it wasn't that I was neglecting it. I just wasn't maximizing it. And yeah. then I realized I could maximize it and amplify it. And so from there, I said, well, why don't I get a team member or two? And so then the next phase that I dated was having two to four team members. And then yeah. a, about a year or two after that, um, I was listening to two books at the same t uh, around the same time frame. One was E-Myth Revisited, which tells you how to build yeah. a business dependent on processes, not people. And then the second book was Four Hour Workweek. So between the two in a similar time frame, um, it was, hey, document processes, scale this, but also here's how you can compress time while you're doing it. And so then at that moment, I, I had another aha where it was, why don't I have more people do it? Why am I doing all this stuff? Why don't I delegate more of this? So that's when I, the next phase went from two to 14 members to eight. And then throughout each of these, these phases for newer entrepreneurs, there's a big difference between a solopreneur and having a team member or two, and then having a team member or two to having five, and then five to 10, 10 to 15, massive difference. And I think the biggest difference for me was 15 to 20, like that 20 mark, was just a whole other ball game. Mm -hmm. And so through each of those, it was like, how do I sustain this comfortably and as realistically um, as possible without losing your sanity and pulling your hair out uh, through the ups and downs of entrepreneurship? Yeah. And so I just dated each of those phases and figured out what I liked and didn't like from each of it and then applied it to the next phase. That's great, bro. I, um, I pulled out all my bangs. Maybe you can see like they're gone. <laughs> And there's something about learning from, as you mentioned, a uh, maybe a negative role model. Like, I love that you bring that up. I don't think a lot of people in our culture discuss the value that a negative role model can have. Like, I grew up idolizing Pete Rose. Like, he was my dude. And I knew everything about his career and blah, blah, blah. And then before I knew it, um, my whole identity was wrapped up in him. Like I only mm. wore the outfits, you know, clothes from his teams. And, um, and then when he got in trouble with gambling, I was like maybe 13, something like that. And that was one of the best lessons of my life because I watched somebody that I admired throw it all away and then be ostracized. And still to this day, I never gamble. I mean, there's like a value mm. to that. And the fact that you went through a bit of a crisis with your previous employer and it pushed you knowing that you could do better is a remarkable thing. Yeah, no, so, totally. It was in, in business and personal. It's, you know, when I was younger, grew up lower middle class, alcoholic stepdad. And so it's like, don't do those things. Yeah. And then I think that's where you learn it. And then in, in business, it's like, don't run a toxic environment. Like I, 
here's here's how to have good retention by not having bad retention. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, that, now that's a tricky thing is creating a culture. And you talked about some breakthrough moments earlier, like developing processes. Like everybody that I've ever spoken to, when I talk about breakthrough moments, they've never mentioned process. Mm. So there's got to be something here worthy of pa unpacking, but yeah. Are you telling me that the process gave you as a business leader, greater freedom and a way to organize before you deputized and supervised? Totally. Yeah. And a, a lot of times you have these crises that uh, you have these huge moments that make or break you. And because of my proactive hesitancy in doing things wrong, I've never had this huge dramatic failure, but I have had opportunities that I could have amplified things quicker. And so one of them was, was processes. And so this was about the year eight mark in running the agency. And it was listening to the e-myth and it was now having something that I could better visualize what I was missing. So of course we all hear document processes, procedures, blah, blah, blah. But until you understand what you're missing, like you can't, you can't quantify it. And so I started to get some insights into quantifying that in the book. And then I, then it was, okay, I need to do this. And let me tell you something, documenting processes sucks. Like if you want to do it the right way, it took me two or three hours every other day for a year because I yeah. didn't want to just mentally, I didn't want to do it just enough that I could mentally check it off the list knowing I half-assed part of it. And so I took the time to document things so granularly that as long as the team member could A, read, and B, follow directions, anybody that had next to no experience in the world of SEO could still complete those processes. Yep. And so now the business was dependent on processes. So your, your aha moment or what made this become a thing that I realized the value in it was by the time I finished that documenting processes, we had our first client that was over $10,000 per month that we had the opportunity to bid on. And there's no way I would have felt comfortable bidding on that without having processes to fulfill it. But then had I, let's say I did, let's say I just bid on it knowing we couldn't properly fulfill it, then your reputation's at stake. Absolutely. And so for me, it was, it, it was, it was almost an instantaneous reward where I went, ah, this is why I did this. Now this yeah. makes sense. And, yes. and now it's, you can, the, the gift that keeps on giving now is that you can maintain quality control at scale. Right. And most, uh, by the way, I want to just applaud you on that. Most founders are not people that uh, are gifted in handing off all the secret sauce so other people can execute. And you, by creating process, develop scalability mm -hmm. because you now got removed from having to be the one to check all the process. Yeah. It, and, and you asked about, um, you know, freedom. It, there was one example where my office is ground level at home and my kids will sneak in the window when they're outside playing yeah. tag and they'll cheat and they'll sneak in through my office window to hide. <laughs> and so one time I snuck out with them and was hanging out and there was a moment where, where it, it sounds so cliche and cheesy, but you, you kind of pause and, and things seem a little slower and you get a little moment of clarity. And, and I realized how much flexibility I, I had afforded myself in that moment where I, yeah. I just walked out unscheduled and, and hung out for however long and I, everything was fine. Right. 
company's still running. You know, my my mom's husband runs a very large direct-to-consumer business, um, distributes his products and his competitors' products, has a factory, um, has been doing this for 40-something years. Whenever I'm sitting with him in the car in L.A. traffic and I'm trying to pick his big brain, he always brings it back to um, even though you're the founder, you still have to organize. You have to create the organization structure, which is the process that you did. You have to Mm -hmm. organize. Then you have to give it to somebody and deputize them. And then you have to supervise it. So what I've noticed is like wherever I stub my toe, it's usually in the fact that I either, I didn't organize, deputize, or supervise. Mm -hmm. And, um, or somebody beneath me didn't do that. And it's so interesting when you create a process that other people can just go and execute on. And I find it fascinating because I just don't see a lot of founders that have that level of execution in their brain besides being the trailblazer part. Now, I know Mm -hmm. that you mentioned to me in our pre-interview that joining masterminds was a valuable advancement in your career. What is it about masterminds that helped your career take off, bro? That's exactly where I was going to take this when we, when you talk about where you stub your toe and, and when you talk about seeing founders, right? And so usually there's, I think they say visionaries and implementers. They basically distill um, business founders and entrepreneurs into those. So you either have the amazing ideas, but you can't bring it across the finish line, or you take an idea that you didn't come up with, but you realize how to bring it across the finish line. And you are so right. And and this is where I started to see this way more was in these different masterminds. So I'm in um, several high-end masterminds that are $50,000 a year. And so you get exposed to these people, these other types of entrepreneurs. I mean, if you're joining groups at that price level, A, you have to have some level of success. B, you have to have a level of confidence in yourself to be able to invest that in yourself. And so it's this whole other marketplace of other entrepreneurs. And so that's what I realized I was missing. I used to to skip all these like local business meetups and things like that because I just felt like I was on a different playing playing field. And then I realized price is a quality filter. And so you have these people at that price that do big things. And in these groups, it's one or two of those people. And the majority of the people are the trailblazers. But they come into these groups and then they realize that they need an implementer. And so um, I kind of found out in reverse and I didn't realize until kind of seeing that that I'm somewhere in the middle, right? And I didn't realize how unique that was because I like processes. I obsess over processes. Once I, once I understood the value of them, it, I became intentional about them. But I've always been more organized than I've noticed my peers. But now in these groups, it's like where you talk about deputize, in a lot of these groups, they talk about leave a man behind. And it's the same thing, right? Deputize, leave a man behind to run those operations once you define them. And that's really what I've noticed is, is in these groups, these people with a tenth of the staff that I have as far as team volume are doing 10 times more. So effectively, they're doing 100 <laughs> times more things than I'm doing because they just go, I want to do that thing. And then they get out of the way. They get out of their way yeah. as fast as possible. Yes. It's admirable, isn't it? Yes, and frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, because like, when Damon and I got started, guys, uh, he asked me how I was doing. I'm like, dude, I'm like running like 
three businesses. I'm like a juggling circus clown. I've got a never ending list of things I got to knock down. And I admire the people. And I get to see this a lot at, um, you know, with being around Tony Robbins and around yeah. his highest paying clients. And these are all people that birth ideas and then organize it and then deputize it and get the hell out of the way and move on to the next one. And I want to applaud those people. Like they're heroes of mine. And I also want to learn as much as I can from them. And there's something about being in masterminds that have, to your point, has a, a barrier for entry. Because mm -hmm. when there's a barrier for entry, and even if your brain is saying, well, that's just too much, it doesn't have to be 50,000, okay? It could be uh, a $30,000 mastermind. They're all different and everybody's in a different economic place, but you have vetted the entire group and the group mm -hmm. is, they're, they're all people that could be customers because everybody in that room has the money to go and invest in not only their education, but if they can invest in their education, they're probably investing in things like SEO and other services. Yeah, and you great point when you get into these groups, they wanna do business with people that they trust and you, yeah. by the nature of you being in that group, you've already checked off half of the trust list just because of your accomplishments and financial stabilities and willingness yeah. to invest in yourself. So a lot of times these groups, you make your money back just from being amongst peers that need your service, but then you amplify it multiple volumes by in, in which you learn and take away from from the skill sets and education and curriculum in the groups now when you got out of your own way did you hire somebody to come in like a coo and mm -hmm. help uh you become still the visionary but somebody went and executed and implemented yeah um so i th that was so i hired a coo about two years ago and that was that's tricky because you need somebody that has a, a, a certain level of skill set, but you also need somebody that is passionate, that wants mm -hmm. to manage your baby as if it were their baby, but, it's, but it, they didn't create it. So you know, how do they have that, th that intimacy with something that they didn't create? Um, and then they, they have to be aggressive in wanting to take things further, but then they also have to be... Um, they have to align with your company culture. They have to grow this in a way that that pr protects the baby, you know, the culture that you've yeah. created. And so that's a lot of really specific things that are hard to find. One of them are hard to find, but a, but a combination of them are super hard. And so I had needed that person for a while, but I didn't want to screw it up. And so right. I had, you know, call it faith or whatever, that if I waited and had my radar up, eventually I would find that person. Now, mm -hmm. I've since learned also through masterminds that there are websites that help you find the implementers or the visionaries. And so there are, there are um, headhunting kind of sites that will go find whichever one you're not, the opposite that you're missing. But what had happened is I ended up finding somebody that um, he was actually the gatekeeper to a client of mine. He was a freelancer for them. And so I ended up getting a contract. Uh, he quickly saw my work ethics and transparency and morals in marketing, which are often missing in other agencies. Yes. And, Reach, um, brother. Thank you. <laughs> I had found his work ethic uh, and integrity admirable as well. And um, after that contract was done, we, uh, I, I was actually walking in my, I remember I was walking in my front yard and I was trying to solve this problem of 
COO, COO, COO. And I realized his name is Vlad. Um, Vlad checked off all the things I needed because he had been, uh, he, he'd now been with me for six months at the time. He'd been exposed to the processes. He started doing design overflow, but then I made him like a project manager. And then he was vocalizing his pros and cons of freelancer and entrepreneurship and his instability in, you know, clients that actually pay on time and the morals thing that we talked about. Yes. And so I solved his problems and he solved mine. And so we um, dated as a COO, I guess you'd say. Yes. And yeah. he, dude, he freaking killed it. And as of last week, I, I just took the, the next big evolution in the company is I completely removed myself from all internal meetings. And now he runs everything. It's great. Wow, what a blessing that is. Uh, really? I'm in the process right now. I do have a COO and who's my CFO, but mm. functions in our organization is the COO and it helps me tremendously. And they also have visibility into the other businesses that we're building out. So they know it's just great to have another person that you can trust that can help you execute and it gives you the distance that you need to be the visionary. And hey, I think that's wonderful. I know that there are, as uh, I've been following you over the years, I noticed that as your business has started to hit new plateaus, you've also had new celebrations that are coming for you and your family. And you've been sharing these cool moments with your wife or the family and going and doing things that are experiences. Can you share some of the experiences that you've been doing with the family and, uh, and how that has helped you celebrate more often and in, be able to appreciate the moments and the hard work that you're doing? Yeah, this is a good question. And this is something that I'm, I'm more deeply exploring. I've, I've always been intentional about um, creating moments for, for my wife and kids. And, um, you know, part of that's back to what we talked about earlier, learning from what other people did wrong and what I witnessed yep. when I was a kid. And so it started as simple as that. And it was, you know, I want to provide stability for my family. So when I was younger, it's like, okay, when I'm a grown up Damon, you know, don't do these things. And when I'm a grown up Damon, ex put roots down. And when I'm a grown up Damon, expose them to things and travel. And so my wife had never been on a plane until we started dating. So she'd never flown until she was 22, I think she was. Um, and, and so it's like, we just got back from Mexico last week. Uh, we leave in two days to South Dakota. Um, my father-in-law passed away last year and he's a native American. And so he's buried on all this like sacred ground and all this, this cool, unique stuff that we can take our kids and show, you know, here's, here's grandpa's history and origins. And, yeah. um, like uh, last month was Costa Rica. And so for me, like a pr probably a better way to answer this is I'm not a materialistic person. I have a nice house and that's about it. I don't have a nice car. I don't have nice watches for me. It's always a, about memories or legacy. And so it's like yeah. those two things I'll throw all my money at. And so we have um, a lake property that we just went up to last weekend. I built a pirate ship on there for my kids. So like I'm all more about experiences. You built a pool? Built a, a pool. pool house? Yeah, pool house, yeah. So that's been awesome because all the holidays have migrated to our house. And so now it's I'll often during the holidays get a moment of gratitude where it's rewarding for me to go, okay, this is a, an environment that I've created to not just for myself, but for everybody else here to f foster a, a, an environment and circumstance where we can get together and, and memories can be made. And, you know, maybe, maybe my wife always talks about how 
when she was younger, she always remembered going to grandma's for the holidays. And so yeah. in my mind, I'm like, okay, it's, that's going to be our house, right? I always remember going to Uncle Damon's or Cousin Damon, whatever. And so for me, it's always about um, memories or legacy and, and just trying new things. That's super, bro. I'm super. I just love watching you have those moments. Um, I think I recalled a Vegas trip, um, maybe even a trip with some Lamborghinis or Ferraris and the day of driving or something like that's awesome. You know, a lot of people just continue the grind and, um, and the fact that you're able to celebrate and share those experiences is priceless. I'm so proud of you for doing that. I just think that's an, an important element that a lot of people don't ever do. And, um, and talk to me about, about where, where are we headed with SEO? I know there's a lot of conversation out there about SEO and AI, and it feels like that AI can do some parts, but not mm-hmm. uh, a vast majority of, is, is the AI integration in the SEO mostly a content play? So far, yeah, for sure. Um, so I, I tend to play devil's advocate in the discussion of AI and SEO because there's countless other people telling you all the amazing reasons to embrace it. Yeah. And so um, I don't know if it's the instantaneous hesitation to join a bandwagon that I have to force yeah. myself to take the yes. other side. Um, but So I'm not here to preach all the reasons you should consider AI. I think everybody uh, gets that concept. And so the discussion I've had about it is quality control, liabilities, um, because it is a content opportunity. Um, so, so maybe the first thing to think about is content at scale using tools is not new to SEO. AI is new. AI doing content at scale is better than the previous options, but scraping content, spinning content, there's right. been countless other ways to do it at scale. Um, so this is not a new game for search engines to figure out. Um, in fact, I would be really surprised if Google didn't already have, what's theirs called, BARD? Um, I would be really surprised if BART didn't already exist five years ago. Yeah. Because there's no way that ChatGPT comes out at the end of 2022 and by the first or second quarter of 2023, right. BARD rolls out. I think what happened is... Hey, do me a favor. Give a little backstory on BARD. Yeah, um, BARD is the AI tool that Google rolled out to compete with ChatGPT. So it's a, a chat inter- interfacing assistant that you can ask questions and it gives responses or take, takes actions. So it's Google's version of ChatGPT. Um, so I think what probably happened was they already had it, but they couldn't release it because it would negatively impact their revenue model because their revenue model is people going to Google and asking questions. And so if now all of a sudden you can get the questions in a chat interface, less links, less clicks, less ads. And so they didn't release it until they had to release it. So they've already had these things in my mind. They've already had these tools for a while or highly likely that they had them. So therefore, they've already had other things to analyze the results of these tools. Um, so I think that, that, you know, it's not new. And as far as like the liability discussion is, that's to be determined. But ChatGPT has only been out for eight months, nine months, something like that. And the liabilities are starting to just come out of the woodwork. I mean, FTC is knocking now. Um, even within the first couple of months, like I think it was Italy that temporarily banned it out of concern. Um, all the major tech players that you think would adopt it and embrace it, Elon Musk, uh, those type of people are saying we need a six-month moratorium to understand mm-hmm. what we're walking into. 
But ultimately, I think the question is, if you want to use it for content, that makes sense. But do you own the output? And I think liabilities are going to evolve, but the chances are you probably don't commercially own the rights to the output because you didn't create it. Right. It's so it's such an, an interesting conversation. I remember being at Google in their headquarters, 2012, 2013, something like that, and having them show me how they can instantly tell if content is um, who the, the originator is. And if you are stealing content and the way that it shows up inside of their, uh, inside of their evaluation process. And I think it'll be, I'm sure they already have it, the ability to evaluate content that's written by AI compared to a human. And um, Google always rolls out updates that are like solutions to the latest marketing problem that mm -hmm. got out of control. Like we saw it with, well, we saw it with everything. There's no reason for me to rattle them off, but it's content created by a human will always be preferred and always mm -hmm. be overvalued. So it feels like there's like a mad dash into AI generated content without thinking about what the long-term setback will be. Yeah, it's, it's you know, do you want short-term rewards at the expense of, of long-term reputation? Um, yeah. there's, there's, a, there's a huge opportunity with AI in the opposite perspective, and it's storytelling. Like, if you think about all the major brands that are, have survived over the decades, if not centuries, you know, let's super generic, obvious example, Coca-Cola, right? Um, they always win because they're always telling stories. Right. And so when you look at the opportunity between mass-produced content at scale that's missing the human element through AI or less volume but higher quality because you get more intimate and tell stories, the loyalty resides with the brands that tell stories and build an audience. Always. And here's how I phrase it. Uh, stories are the glue that binds your audience's attention into your solution. And they're sticky. It's almost like a story's like when you go to the uh, Circle K and you reach in to grab a six pack, the story keeps all the pieces together. And at the end of the day, when you reunite with your wife, you don't go home and tell her all the facts or the data of the day. You give her a story that connects the pieces. So when businesses in their content use stories, it allows people to pick it up and then share it with other people. And it's, it's sticky. It remains in their head. They'll be able to tell that story for forever. And, yeah. um, and so I think, yeah, I think you're right. There's a lot of businesses that, oh, that undervalue story, but when you look at the big juggernauts, they overvalue stories for a reason because they mm -hmm. work. Yeah. 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 Well, that's super cool. Damon, what's coming up next for you? Like, what is the, uh, I know you have a free SEO book. Tell me about that. Yeah, I wrote a, a book called Outrank a couple of years ago, um, w largely out of passion to help the little guys. Um, I don't think it's too often the entrepreneurs write books with no intention to commercialize it. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, it, it's, it was a really great learning experience. Um, writing a book is something else. And, but Jeez, I, I wrote it because... <laughs> I wrote it because I wanted to, you know, you get the credibility out of it, out of it. That's yeah. nice. But I got, 
it, it helped answer a lot of questions for, for small businesses. So in my mind, it was like, all right, either you, if you don't have the budget to compete with the big guys, but you're willing to put in the time, then I was able to create a book that I could give out as a blueprint. So now I can help, you know, all types of people. So if they come in and if the budget doesn't fit or whatever, then I can go, well, I can still help you. Here's a book. And so I spend thousands of dollars a year coming out of pocket to, to give that away for free in the physical copy. So, you know, I give it away online for free, but I physically mail it. Um, I still mail a, a copy or two a week, just uh, anybody that asks. So it, it's just a more of a huge passion thing um, to, I think you get to a certain point in entrepreneurship where if you're fortunate enough to find a reasonable level of success, you just want to give back. And yeah. that's, you know, one way I can just go, all right, you know, good luck entrepreneur and, and I hope you make it. Yeah, that's beautiful. I totally agree with you. Like the, the whole secret is giving and the reward that comes from that along the way is ginormous. And yet it also has a um, exponential impact like a magnet that attracts more people your way. And I applaud you for doing that. People can go to freeseobook.com. That's freeseobook.com or damonburton.com. Damon, thank you so much for joining me on the Toddcast, for sharing your stories, for talking about the perseverances, but also how you've liberated and freed yourself up along the way as you continue to help people. It's great. It's just great to reconnect with you, my man. Yeah. Good to catch up. Thanks, Todd. Yo, that was a powerful episode. And from what we just learned, it should be obvious how you can now implement these lessons in your life to get to the next level. Now, before you bounce, I just have three quick thoughts. First, thank you for taking me on your incredible life journey. Second, if you receive some value from me and you want to pay it forward, it would mean the world to me if you left an honest rating and review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. I'd be incredibly grateful. And lastly, if you share this episode, whether it be a screenshot or a photo from where you're listening, anything via Instagram stories or LinkedIn, Facebook, or any of the social media sites, just tag me and the guest I'll repost your content and I'll reply back in the comments because I love mixing it up. In fact, I'd love to share your shout outs in my feed too. Not only are these shout outs really good for you and for me, but they also help us book more amazing guests because they'll be able to see the reach that you're helping to cultivate. This is a way for you to help contribute to the show. So thank you again for listening and I look forward to earning a regular spot inside that ear of yours. Let's grow.